Welcome to Puzzling Company, your home for at-home puzzles and mysteries. Here are your hosts, Jared and Zach. Well, welcome back to another episode of Puzzling Company. It is your host, Zach, and always with me is... It's Jared. Hi, Jared. How are you doing? I haven't been sleeping well, I'm going to be honest with you. That's not good. I know you're usually the one that comes into the office and I ask you how you slept last night and you're like, I just couldn't. Inexistent. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm tired, like so much so that I was going through, you know, Andy's frozen custard yes. last night and the person taking my order had the audacity to comment on how tired I looked. Dang. I know, like savage, <laughs> savage drive That's through. how tired you were. That's how tired I looked yesterday. Well, hopefully you'll get some good sleep, but this is going to be a great episode. We are going to be discussing something that we like a lot. So Jared, what's common in like the Goonies, Treasure Planet? pirate movies what what do all those have like a component of um an overzealot villain who is obsessed with some type of treasure treasure's interesting what helps you lead to treasure oh a map yes excellent i love maps and today we're gonna be playing legend a game of maps it was honestly a blast to play and we're really excited to talk about it stick with us zach i'm i'm so sorry to hear about the robbery at your house last night are you okay i'm fine but Jared, literally no one broke into my house last night. But I do feel a little upset because you did stand me up for game night. Okay. Your text literally reads, break in tonight, exclamation point. Jared, that's literally the name of the game. It's a really cool new concept where you're trying to solve puzzles to break into the game instead of out of it. All their games follow really cool narratives about real life places. We really should have people check it out in our show notes to get details on where they can pick up this game. So it's called Break In? Yes, it's Breaking In, not Breaking Out. I'm sorry. It's okay. Well, welcome back. In this section, we are going to be discussing the game as a whole. Um, This is kind of a place for me to, Jared, kind of give it a review, kind of discuss the things we really liked about the game, as well as things we thought could have room for improvement. Uh, That's not a place to dog the games. We genuinely love all the games we play. Um, but just like anything, it can improve. So we like trying to give our feedback as well as kind of just giving like, we thought this worked really well and what could potentially help. But Jared, I'm actually going to hand it over to you. Can you kind of explain Legend Game of Maps? It is unlike anything we've ever played before. I feel like that's a fair statement to make just to throw that out there first. But we had the luxury of playing Legend Game of Maps Part 1 and Legend Games of Map Part 2. Part 1 is a, I would call it a less time-consuming intro adventure. Mm-hmm. Both of them involve gorgeous, gorgeous handmade maps. And in both episodes, you are trying, based on a society that is hiring you, to find treasure. The Kettering so, Institute, if yes, I remember correctly. that is correct. It, that you are sent out with nothing more than a couple of documents and a map to bring home the treasure. Or at least communicate where the treasure is located. Yeah, because I think, if I remember correctly, the Kettering Institute basically finds these documents from the year like 1201 to 1890 AD. That's basically like a bunch of maps that have the same symbol that they think leads to treasure, and we are trying to find it to keep it for academic reasons, not to like treasure hunt it um, and keep it like pirates. But yeah, it's so well done. Like the, the, the maps just look beautiful. Yeah, that ties into the first thing that we really loved about this game is I'm trying to think of games where I opened up the game and I got goosebumps. And especially when we started playing part two, when we opened up part two and saw everything, it was like, like it was cool. It was it was one of those moments that you're like, yes, this is what this is what immersive games do. And I think that's what you were talking about is the the authenticity of the documents, the maps that we had. It could be real, Zach. Yeah. Like, I kind of hope it is real. Yeah. <laughs> like, I hope there is like this deep meta that you and I missed and that our creator that we're going to interview later in the show really has buried a treasure somewhere. 
because I would rip the maps off of our wall and you and me would buy some plane tickets and we'd be off on the adventure of a lifetime. <laughs> and it would be believable because these maps look so stupid, real and good. Yeah. It's unbelievable. I, uh, I just, I can't, I can't speak enough about both of the maps that we had and the, the corresponding documents that came along with them. Yeah. I mean, the, the documents looking like they've been burned, but not just burned, but like that they had been burned and just been sitting in like half gone for hundreds of years yeah. and the writing and the way it's written and the context, it just felt so good. It's like if you and I rolled up to the Smithsonian and somehow we were asked to help decode something, I would believe that what we got to play with was pulled out of some like airtight vault and mm -hmm. that we were one of just the few people in the modern era to actually get to interact with it. Like it just made everything so, so, so enjoyable. Yeah. And then even the feed in that kind of our next point was the unique puzzling. The, yes. the items were so authentic that the puzzling was masked so well mm. that half the time we either didn't notice. <laughs> and I don't mean that in like a negative I way. I mean, you mean that in the best way possible. Yes, in terms of like, it took us a bit to make some of the connections. And that's like, so that's not a bad thing. That is just purely well done. But the puzzling was just unique. It was anything from like this longer process puzzle, but then some of them would be riddles. And then we'd have things that would have these different pieces of artwork. But if you really notice, like that artwork was mentioned somewhere else, and it just was so cool. And to have this element of the game, which we'll talk a little bit as well about how this game doesn't really have a digital aspect other than like the, the like how you send in your answer. Because yes. that's how the game will end is that you get like a, you figure out where you need to go or the location or whatever you need to find. And then you send it an email, but that's it. Yes. Other than the hint system. But it was just so well done. It never felt like we dropped out of that immersiveness. And then the, the puzzling just, like, they played so well off each other. There's a trope in the escape room world that some of the best-looking games have the worst puzzling experiences in them. And I've played some of those games. I have, too. You have, too. But the reason that is is because it is so difficult and it takes such craft mm -hmm to then build a believable environment and then play a game within it. Yes. Because puzzles that are out of place and well-built, and I should say well-aesthetic or well-built-out designed immersive escape rooms, they stick out like sore thumbs because you've built a world, but now the game that you've built into it doesn't fit into the world. But that was not the case for the game that we've built today. Like, you have to give a lot of credit to the creator to first make the world that we're playing in and then not put a Sudoku or crazy, like to not shoehorn puzzles into something that was beautiful. And they didn't like, it just all worked so well together. And it, it very few things. I feel like you could say, if you looked at, at any maps, you would say like, Oh, like, especially the second game, there's, there's a, a sequence in there that I, you're just like, that's fantastic. Yep. Millions of people could look at this map and if they didn't know, they wouldn't put all of that together. Mm -hmm. Like it was just really, really, really cool. And I think for a long time, we'll have these maps up on our wall and we'll just look at them and just be like, dang. Yep. That's impressive. But let's push into more what you were talking about, Zach, about our third point about the no digital and the narrative and tie all of this in a bow to bring us home. Yeah, so it having no digital aspect other than the hint system, I, it, it just worked well. The, the other two points we discussed just made that work even more. Because we, we've played some games where it's mostly that way, but it has a, like a digital aspect in terms of like the answering system or for extra narrative. Mm -hmm. But this game does such a good job immersing you and keeping the narrative mostly simple. There's some things about the narrative that can feel like a lot just because it's like olden time yes. kind of stuff. But it plays so well that you, because there's no, you like knowing ahead of time, there's no online part. You We got to immerse into it more. Because I think sometimes when I know there's an online part, if the online part is done really well, right, then the narrative can feed into it more and I can enjoy it because there could be like a video aspect or a, a music aspect. But in this game, like just how, because of how the authentic the game pieces were and the puzzling, it kept us interested until the end. 
Yes. And that's very well done. It it did, and it it made the narrative make sense. Yes. The absence of digital, the just raw tangibility, and it was like candy for your eyes mm. the whole time. But it was interesting because, correct me if I'm wrong, but there are no, beyond the letter that you get at the very beginning, that's kind of your onboarding and your opening, there's nothing from present time. Uh, the email you get when, when you complete the game, you, you send in your answer. That is the only other time that you get something that is present day. Right. So everything that means if you're buying into the narrative of the game, right, that this has been sitting there for hundreds of years and nobody else has been able to solve it. And you don't have any cluing or hinting unless you go to the hint system to really push you. Like it just made the narrative so believable that the puzzling, fit the level of aesthetic beauty that we were looking at in these maps. Like Mm -hmm. it's just a really good game. Like I don't, I don't know how else to say it. Like it is a really good game. I will give um, a couple caveats though, to things that you may experience that I think will be helpful. Number one is game one is a lot shorter and a lot smaller in terms of items and time required. Yes. It was a good game. The real beauty, especially if you are a puzzle person, which we imagine a lot of people listening to this podcast are, a lot of the beauty and the appreciation comes when you get to game two, Yes, when you get to chapter two. It's like reading a children's book and then reading a novel. Yeah, uh, And that's not to say that it wasn't a great children's book. It's just I was blown away at the difference between two. Mm-hmm. The other thing to be aware of is that there's stuff running between all of the games. And it's building. This is an ongoing story. You can play them episodically, but as Zach mentioned before, there's something else going on here. There's a larger narrative at hand. And if you played the first one, you get to do things in the second game that build. And I love that. I can't wait for the third game to come out. Yeah, same. But I also can't believe that this is an indi- our creator is an individual that does all of this by hand. Yeah, that's <laughs> the insane part. That's the insane part of all of this. Well, if you can't tell, we really, really enjoyed this. But as always, we want to talk about where we felt like there was some room for improvements. And Zach, why don't you kick us off on that? Oh, man. Uh, yeah, so the first thing I think we we both thought that needed room for improvement, at least for us, was the process puzzles. It is majorly process puzzles. Specifically in the second game, there's like a bunch of small ones for one part of the game. And then there's one that is legitimately just one long process puzzle. Which I will say was masterfully crafted. Oh, it's so... That's the thing. It is very good. It's a crazy puzzle. But if you don't like process puzzles, you're going to run into like multiple of them. And one is one that is just extremely long. And I would argue the same thing for the first game. Like a majority of your time in the first game is spent doing the same thing. It is, yeah. And it is a process. Like the puzzling part of it we've seen in a lot of other games. Mm-hmm. It looks awesome, but you've got to be okay going into this game, being willing to go through some very heavy process puzzles. And I think that's just an opportunity to say, like, I think more diversity of puzzling in future games would be better mm-hmm. because the section, it, to give a little context, Zach primarily tackled the process puzzle in game two. And then I was on this other pathway, which I think we would both agree was the more creative and well done. It had a lot of like, it it was varied. Yes. It had a bunch of varying puzzles, which the one I had had like two variations in it at points. Yes. But the process, the whole thing of that, of that part of the game was that it was supposed to be one long puzzle chain of puzzles, chains of puzzles that would eventually give you the answer. So I I almost want to say like I want to see more of the part that I was working on replicated in future games. Yeah, because it it ended up being that my it was funny when we originally started the second game. We thought my part would be the shorter part, and we thought yours would be longer. (laughs) And it ended up being when we worked, so we split up. We did it separate for a long time, and then when we finished the game or when we were getting near the end, we both worked on the part Jared wasn't working on together. Yes. And we, I wouldn't say it was like quick, but we solved it a lot quicker than we were anticipating. Yes. Because we, like when we were doing it solo, we were like struggling to make some of the connections. Right. You had all of the elements together. And then Zach came in and was like, Oh, I think this is connected to this. And then it was like, pew, 
like, yeah, like let's, we, we shot through it. But, but you couldn't do that with Zach's section. Yeah, because like I said, I don't want to spoil it or any, you know, and it, it was very well done, but it was like a, I did this part. Okay, I got an answer. Oh, now it told me to do, now do this part. And then it continued and continued and continued. And every right. time I thought I was near done, I found out another part had just been opened. Right, and it, and I, I want to be clear because I feel like we dog on process puzzles a lot. We had an episode a couple episodes ago where we spent the whole middle section talking about process puzzles. Mm -hmm. They are not bad puzzles. We're not here to say like any game with process puzzles is bad. What we're always saying is if you are offering process puzzles, give us something else with it. Give us some variety. Don't just have everything be process. It's also the perspective of... I think at times we try to analyze it from our point of view, but then also to see it from a new player or yes. someone who, you know, we're trying to get the game spread out to more people. So if I gave it to like, let's say someone who'd never played before, I give it to like a family member and they've never played. And I go, oh, here's this like really long process puzzle. It's not that the process puzzle is bad, but if you give them multiple, their interest, I think is going to be harder to keep at times because they feel like it's just like loads of work and that's yes. fine. And I think when you get to more experienced people, we're fine with that or we enjoy that. Yes. But I I think especially newer people, it's more difficult to be like, here's just this long process puzzle. This is going to take you like 45 minutes to do. Try to keep having fun the entire time because if you don't enjoy it, you know, it's a pacing problem. Yeah. Right. Like depending on where it is in your game flow, depending on how many of them you have, you just create problems in what is part science and part art in creating an ideal game flow? Yeah. Right. So thankfully there were multiple paths in game two, but it just has to be noted. I I want to see a diversity and some other things. We've said this about countless other games and I think it just bears and worth repeating. Luckily this game, the puzzles were so good that it didn't matter as much, but you know, especially let's say the puzzles that were in the process puzzle were not. Yes authentic or felt good when I was at least doing them, it would have felt tremendously yes. worse. These were some of my favorite process puzzles. Yes. Let's say, let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. The second room for improvement that we had is it comes in the hint system. And again, I'm just a firm believer in this. Zach, you can disagree with me if you'd like. This game had a great tiered hint system. Mm-hmm. Very thorough. Yes. Loved it would not give me the final answer if I wanted it. That is correct. It would give, well, to to be clear, when we looked through it, you would get answers to these small individual parts. So let's say like the long process puzzle I did in part two. If we looked through it, we could get answers for each individual step of that process puzzle. But let's say like you get to the end and you're like, okay, I just want to make sure that my answer is correct. Like for the end, so that you can send it to, you know, the the email um, or if you just wanted to like make sure you're on the right track, there is no option for that. Yeah, it is the whole point of it is that you're supposed to email the the society at the end to check it, and that's kind of like a it feels unfortunate when you don't when you feel like you have to just wait to see if you're correct. Yes, and that pours into our third thing mm-hmm. that we want to talk about, which is the very thing you were talking about is you email your final answer off. This is true for both parts one and two. And then you have to wait for the creator of the game to respond to you. And I get a little bit torn when talking about this, but I lean on the side of giving the player the option for the game that they want, which is I don't like the fact that you have to wait to get your final part of the narrative, the final part of the confirmation that you have completed it. I think it should be an automated system. The counter argument to that. And it does, I admit, fit for what this game is because it is a highly personalized game Mm. as well, which we could talk about. But the creator takes it upon himself to answer every email that comes in personally. And I get that. And then it then feels personal coming back to you. I mean, the the literal letter is personalized to the person. Like it was like I did. I usually do the emailing when we do the like answers to those things. And it was like clearly the, the creator was like, okay, I'm going to put Zach's name in it and I'm going to address it that Zach did this puzzle. Yes. And it was really cool. Like the the personalization, if it's worth taking the extra time to do that, I like that. Yes. But as Jared was saying, and I agree with, sometimes it feels frustrating when you expect in other games to get the answer almost immediately because of the automated system. So you like, you can get the ending then and you're like, okay, that's how I feel. 
But for some games to like think you're going to get the answer, then you sit around for a bit and it doesn't come and they're like, okay. And then let's say it comes the next day. Right. Then you're like, okay, that's still really cool. But like, I wish I could have gotten it like when I wanted the game to end. But the other thing that we don't know, and this is on the creator, we didn't like when we got ours, it took like, I think two days to get our answer. And I don't know if that's normal or if we just like the creator was busy those two days. And I like, so that's not against them. Right. That's not a shot at the creator. Yeah. That's just like a, maybe we got unlucky on the first mail and it just took a bit longer, you know, um, or it might be more common that it's like the same day or a little bit later. The other part of this is I think there's a little bit of a uh, cultural problem within these games because in some games you're responding to an automated system that is immersively built to make it feel like you're getting an answer from a real person. Yeah. So now there is for a lot of players, this expectation when you email somebody, am I emailing a real person or is it an automated system? Right. Or is it an automated system? So yeah. when Zach and I first sent it off, we thought, Oh, we're wrong. Yeah, we kept thinking that like I sent it the wrong email or that the automated system, like I put it the answer in incorrectly for it to read it. Like, yes. Maybe I edited it too much and just didn't put those straight two answers. And, you know, and then I I basically I felt bad. I sent the creator like I think two or three emails with the same answers, just edited <laughs> differently to make sure it worked. But then when I got the email like very soon after, I sent like the second or third one is when you know I got like our personalized answer right. to the first game. So we understand we understand that the creators made a personal choice here. We, we admire that. We admonish that. But at the same time, that does have its consequences. Mm -hmm. And we just have to point out that that was a tripping ground for us, especially after playing such a great game. Yeah. Like it is a game. So there is a final piece of narrative or a final answer or, you know, I know not all of us prefer the term like winning the game, mm -hmm. right? Um, completion may be a better word for some people, whatever, but it is nice after playing a game, knowing that you've ended at the right place or achieved the right goal. And we felt that the weight was not our favorite thing in the world. Yeah. Well, that's really going to wrap it up, but, but overall we really enjoyed legend of game of maps special game. Yes. It, beautifully done. We really enjoyed it. Um, but stick around. We're going to be doing puzzles for the people very soon. Solve puzzles, write reviews, win prizes. It's time for Puzzles to the People. Jared, 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 Jared. I found this really cool box outside. Can we please, 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 can we open it? Are you out of your mind? Look what it says on the box. It literally reads, root of all evil. There's no way we're opening this box. Oh, come on, Jared. What's the worst that can happen? What's the worst that... Have you ever seen a horror movie? Listen, you don't split up your team. The basement is not a good hiding place. You don't give cute little creatures water. And above all, you don't open the mysterious and creepy box with the word evil on it. Please, Jared. No. But if you're listening and you have more guts than me, you should actually head over to crackinutmysteries.com and pick up a copy of Root of All Evil. Um, Jared? I think I need to tell you something. Well, welcome back to Puzzling Company. Here in our middle section of the program, I love to ask Zach questions that he is not prepared for, but they always relate to the industry at large. One episode, Zach got some revenge, but then he doesn't seem very eager to come back and hold that position again. Is that accurate? Would you like more opportunities to ask questions or are you in such a good rhythm now with the chaos that comes that you just love rolling? I think it's like a necessary evil. <laughs> I think I'm like the one who has to bear the burden of answering questions that are chaotic at times, but I've, yeah, I think I'm just used to the format, but I also enjoy the questions because I think sometimes when I ask you questions, I feel like I don't do well enough questions, but then also it makes me have to think quicker. Mm. And I think that's fun. All right. Well, you opened with a quizzical questioning line at, what are we talking about this episode? And guess what? We're talking about it in the middle section. Oh, really? The big title of this game is Legend Game of Maps. Yep. And we are talking about maps in the middle section. Wow. So, Zach, as you are looking at our wall, yep. would you agree or disagree that maps are more often than not a pretty common feature of 
at-home puzzle and mystery games. Uh, yes. We have quite a number of maps on our wall, um, any from outer space to our planet to olden time to futuristic. Uh, they're all there. They are all there. Why, in your opinion, do you think this is such a used element in games? I think it is a way to show the adventure and the, the journey you're going on. Because in some of the games we play, it is like international. Because, you know, we are like a... Of course, I'm in like 50 different groups now, and I saved the world multiple times by solving puzzles. So many different societies that you I belong know, to. <laughs> literally, at this, I think it was a joke early on when we were playing that we were part of like three or four. We're legitimately part of like 50 now, <laughs> um, and that's great. I enjoy all of them. I, it's tough. It's tough getting all of my meetings. Though. Our dues are gonna just destroy us. Luckily like, enough, all the treasure we get is enough no, money to that's cover. That's true. That's true. We do do. I feel like we haven't failed any of these societies yet. <laughs> <laughs> The Society of Unknown Phenomena. I still owe 50 bucks for the last <laughs> But uh, it's okay. I'll, I'll pay them back. Hopefully they let it slide. Yeah, but anyways, yeah, I, I think it just kind of lets you see a visual of the, the adventure going on. But then also in a lot of them, in some examples, the games we play, the map is used to show the the journey, but also used as a puzzle itself in terms of like combining locations or making, let's say, connections between two points and finding, let's say, you know, or you're looking for an unknown location, they kind of give you like latitude and longitude and you can like use it that way as like a more simple puzzle. I say simple puzzle, but as a puzzle, you know, but some of them are like, okay, connect these spots and you you make out certain things like numbers or words, you know, and then in some, the map is used as kind of an overall view of the place you're playing in and kind of gives you directions and where you're at. But then also, let's say a puzzle goes like, I need to visit this location. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you can look at that map and go, okay, we need to go to E7, right? Or what, whatever it is, depending on the game. And what's interesting about maps, though, is that most games that have maps that we've played have somewhat of a different element in each of them. Uh, not many of them have repeated themselves in terms of it's the exact same puzzle. I agree. Yeah, which I agree. I, but I, I find that funny only in terms of like, I just imagine every map puzzle we would get would be like, Oh, look for the, you know, X marks the spot or, you know, connect these two dots together, you know, and a lot of them have not done that. I agree. I've been impressed looking at all of the maps on our wall that they have been handled very differently. Yet it just bears saying that it feels like maps are just great places for puzzles. There's numbers, there's letters, there's all of this juicy, there's shapes that's like, it's like this juicy mixture of every good place to come up with a good puzzle that has a believable answer. I think the other really cool part about maps is that growing up, you know, and I'll say for myself or for anyone, like growing up, the whole pirate, you know, having maps and finding treasure, it's just something that makes you giddy. Like, you know, cause you just imagine when you're young, you're like, I'm going to go find treasure. You know, I'm going to go on an adventure and maps let you kind of have that mini experience because generally a lot of them do kind of have that element. Some don't, um, which like I said, their elements of what you're looking for is different, but like a traditional like pirate map is really fun because I feel like I'm in, you know, I'm a kid again and I get to have that experience of trying to solve this riddle or puzzle to get to where I want to find the treasure that will make me rich, you know, and, and then the adventure along the way of running into other pirates and being on the ship and all, all the funny things you think of when you think of like uh, Pirates of the Caribbean or like one of my all-time favorite movies, very underrated is... Uh, I was just about to ask you, favorite movie or TV show with a map in it? Oh, it's Treasure Planet. That's... I could go on all day about how, why I love Treasure Planet so much as a movie. That movie also does something completely different with the map in terms of how the map works. Um, but it's just like... That's what I, like I said, it's funny. When I think of maps, I think of that movie and it makes me wish I was in it. Not in terms of everything that happens in that movie, but like the adventure and that it gives you that, like I said, it gives you that sense of being young again in, in terms of like not caring about anything and your like only objective is to find that thing you truly want. Yeah, it's it's kind of the map of what's going to happen and what could happen. And mm -hmm. it's freaking treasure, man. Like it just is so, it's so, so alluring. The other thing that I like about maps is it is providing a zoomed out context for the world that you're in. 
yeah. little bit because I think of immersion as a zoom in. Yes. Whether that's to a place or a time period, and we're going to zoom in there and it is the creator's job to make me believe as we zoom in at this certain point in time or in this made up world that I'm there. Like that's how you're going to create immersion. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the best games that we've played have had maps in it. And it's, it, it almost is like helps that because, okay, now we're zooming out and you're giving me even more than I could possibly build out in my mind. And that's just really cool. Yeah, like I said, you you get so caught up in the I would say I almost want to say the moment of being in that one location, but then especially in games that make it more high risk, you realize how big. Or I I almost find the opposite point sometimes fun is that how small you are compared to the overarching yes. thing that is happening. Yeah. You know, and I I think that a lot in like um, space type of games, and, and this is a topic about space in general. But, you know, sometimes you feel like what you're doing is super important and, and it will save everything. And a lot of times the goal of the game is that the, what you're doing is super important. But then also like to realize that you are just, you know, when you look at space games, like you're just in this ship that's in the small part of this part of the like space and you're trying to get all the way back to Earth and you realize how small that is. Like, you know, and you realize, oh, crap, I'm in this world that is 80 bajillion times bigger than I am, but what I'm doing matters. And that's kind of cool. Or the opposite, you think it's insignificant. But in most games, obviously, they don't want you thinking that. You're obviously there to complete the tasks or the puzzles and be the hero it's, of the story. It is. It's scope. Yeah. It, it really is. It puts so many things in perspective for world building. It just allows you to have a context that we're so familiar with and... It's it also has like a historical feel, right? Mm-hmm. Like it in our day and age, these type of maps don't exist anymore, right? The great cartographers of the past who did these by hand, well, everything now is digital, right? So it feels like these are maps are valuable, they're rare, they're uncommon. But in today's day and age, it's like, well, just get on Google, bro. Like, wait, you don't. Jared, I got you a gift last year. It was that handmade map I made of you at Murfreesboro. You're not using it? Yeah. No, I know. I have it in like my, uh, the glove compartment and you know, I, I look at it. Okay. That's really good. <laughs> I was scared when you made that comment that you didn't look at my map. You know, it could have used some color or some street names, but that's fine. It's fine. It works just fine. I put fine. the cat on the corner to help you <laughs> signify that street corner. Okay. But I can't believe you're saying this right now. Anyways, but, continue. But wouldn't you agree? Like, we also have to admit that for a lot of them, like I'm looking at some maps, especially in some of our crime games yeah. that are more modern and they serve more of a utilitarian purpose for solving the crime. Yes. But a lot of what's intriguing about, like I think about like in the magic world, like ley lines. Yep. That's a cool map that, cool that it imposes on our map. It's, 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 it's kind of arcane. It's old. It's, intriguing we don't have that in the modern day it's also like the old style maps of like let's say pirate themed is that it feels like it's a different world because they don't it's mapped differently if that makes sense like you know modern day maps we know what everything looks like but in old and you know like in older times like when they handmade maps a lot of it was correct and some of it wasn't in, in terms of like you look at a map and we get a map of a certain location and it looks nothing like the real world map and you're like wow that makes me feel like I'm literally back then because I have no idea of the scale of like what is out there. Yes. I only have this small map that indicates the next five islands ahead of me, but I have no clue of anything else. Crazy to think that people just went into the unknown with these maps. Yep. <laughs> nope. Give me Google. Like that's where I want Google Maps. That's where I want the safety of today. Yep. One interesting thing that came up recently to me, and I don't know that it applies so much in this world, but I want your take on it is I played a game recently, a, a video game. I played it on my computer that I adore. It's called Death Store. Yes. You and I talked a lot about this, mm-hmm. but my number one gripe with the game was no map. Oh, yeah. There's no map in this game. So we play a lot of games that have no maps. Mm-hmm. Do you find yourself, when we're playing an at-home puzzle or mystery game, frustrated by that? Not having a map? Yeah. Um. No. It depends on the game. Uh, most games we play that have maps, the map has a true purpose and it's like rewarding. But 
there are games, I, I, at least from what I remember, there's not many games we've played where I wanted a map. Like, it didn't feel like we were missing a lot because there was not a map. Because most of those games are self-contained to the point that they tell you where you're at and you really don't have to worry about the big picture. Yes. Right? And then in other games, the purpose of the map, like you said, is to do that, is to remind you of where you are or the journey you're going on. So I, I don't think I would miss it if, like, games didn't have it. But it, it depends on the game. If the game, like, really relied on, like, the journey and it wanted me to visualize that and I didn't have a way to, then I'd potentially be disappointed. But that's... That's really the only reason. I want to, I kind of want to stay in a little video game world here for a second because we're always talking about adjacent spaces. Yeah, yeah. Isn't it true that New World has no map, the new Amazon release? I believe it does. Oh, does it? I could be way off on that, but I thought I read an article that said like people are really frustrated that there's no world map. I think the world map works a little bit differently. I don't play New World. So if anyone's out there and they play New World, they can totally tell us we're wrong. All I remember is that I've had friends that have died in game because I've watched them play it and then they teleport to a location. And they like, you know, and I can see them like looking at where some of the, but I think it works differently because the map isn't, like I said, it could be completely wrong. I think it works a little bit different. You have to like, explore everything. It's not all open. There's probably not like a mini map or anything like that. that I probably think. Would you play World of Warcraft if there was no world map? Like at all? At all. I even play World of Warcraft. Um, any, anyways, um, let's say either the the MMOs I'm currently playing, which is World of Warcraft or Final Fantasy, if they didn't have a world map at all, it'd be weird. Yes. Just because I'm, I'm so used to it. As well as in those games, scales everything. Like, right. You are the, in either game or any most games, you are the hero or the, the person there to, so it'd be weird to be like, okay, I'm going to travel this place, but I have no map like where that is. But it'd be interesting because I think in New World, it could be cool because I don't play it. But that game is about exploring a new world. It is about the exploration. I think in games that, in some other games like World of Warcraft or like Final Fantasy, it's less of that. It's mm -hmm. you like, you know, like you generally know the space. You explore new places when you go to like meet new people and adventures. But like New World is about the exploration. I'm looking around more and more at what's on our wall. Tell me a game that, doesn't have a map i i'm like tripping out like i'm trying to look around and see i just don't think there's very many that didn't go that route yeah I, the one i'm looking at is witchery spell but it does have i think it technically has like a star chart that helps but yeah that's not like a map but that's like a, it is a map of the stars sure but uh yeah like it, most things we play it does have some form of a map or it or visual context for the uh, world of, that you're in. Yeah. yeah. The only one that I can think of that we've played is the Enigma deck, but that didn't have really much of a story to go along with it either. Yeah. So so here's my question. Sure. Do maps intrinsically help narratives? I think this is hard. This is always my answer. It feels like it just depends. I I think games that rely on that adventure, it does benefit if the map is well done. Just like anything. Well done makes me feel better about so it. So wait, so do you mean like if it's used in a puzzling context? Like if you got a game that just... Or narratively it fed into it really well. Like let's talk about the game, we, like Legend Game of Maps. Let's say for some reason a map part of it was never used as a puzzle, but it looked <laughs> so well and made me keep the narrative, like made me fit the narrative into it. I'd be fine with it. But in other games, like if I played a game where I traveled across the, like the ocean once, I, I don't know if the map is super necessary unless it really plays into the game more it does that make sense or it gives me more of a narrative reason but if you're just like here's a map you know and i'm playing a a random true crime solver and i have i don't it, and the location does not matter at all then why is it like why is it there i'm looking up here at uh murders by mail yes if that game doesn't have a map it falls way off in my in my opinion oh that game plays around the map yes like no tomorrow yeah that's the purpose of the game almost is that right, but, it is the interaction in the map. But I could argue like it could have done just fine with just giving us the, like the, the phone that told you the, like, the phone book. Yeah, it could have, but the map it didn't, but that game intrinsically benefited from the having the map. Yes. Like I'm looking around and I'm like, I don't know a game that I'm, I'm not like, I, it's hard. I'm, I'm not saying like every game should have a map creators, <laughs> but I'm looking around and I'm like, boy, Most I'm, maps are well done. I'm really glad soup had a map. Yep. I'm really glad that Enigma Fellowship has one. Detective Society, like there's a lot, there's a lot of maps. It mm -hmm. just it 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 just seems like almost kind of like what we do as humanity is 
we depict the world that we're in from a lot of different scales and scopes and maps seem to be a thing. Yep. I remember when Google Maps first came out, tell me you didn't like zoom out and zoom in for hours yep. and like look All around right. and look around the world. And, and I remember they had a street view and then everyone's goal was to see if they could find themselves yes. or their house on R- run view. outside when the Google truck was coming by. Yep. And a lot of games use that too. Yep. I, I don't know. Like even, uh, no, I can't say that. That's a spoiler. Yep. Sorry. I was thinking about a recent podcast that we had and yes yeah okay. let's not spoil let's that. not spoil that but that is uh that's gonna wrap us up for a middle section questions for creators coming at you next there are some awesome people who make the puzzles we love to solve this is questions for creators zach you never responded to my email about the rally next week the rally yeah dude they're trying to tear down the old tree off of maine that's a bat coon habitat i think you mean raccoon <laughs> Zach, next thing you know, you'll be calling swargators alligators. Swargators? Bat coons? Jared, what are you talking about? Dude, everyone knows that the American Society for the Protection of Magical Creatures spends countless hours trying to preserve the habitat of these magical and magnificent creatures. Do you want your kids growing up in a world where there's no lobguins? Do I? Well, that's a fair question. Lobguins are actually very temperamental creatures, but sometimes I can do without them. But what everyone should do is head over to theaspmc.org. That's T-H-E-A-S-P-M-C.org and sign up to help their investigations. Only you can prevent the extinction of these magical creatures. Welcome back to Puzzling Company. We are now in the section that is called Questions for Creators. In this section, this is kind of a part where we get to discuss questions or ask questions to the amazing people who create these games. Uh, we've had a few people on the show who weren't creators, but extra people who were part of the process in creating a game. Uh, but lovely for us today, we get to talk to the creator of Legend, a game of maps. I don't want to say too much. Um, we're going to let them talk more. So tell us about yourself in general, your name um, before the company, and then tell us about the invention of the company. Sure. Yeah. You know, first, thanks for having me on. This is awesome to be able to talk with you guys. Um, yeah. So my name's Ron Francis Angelo. Um, I'm the designer of Legend of Game of Maps, which is a series of puzzle tabletop games. Um, and my history is kind of like like a winding path through a lot of d- a different entertainment industries. Um, I think going really far back since I was a kid, I made games and puzzles and things like that for family members and then wrote stories. And I wanted to be a comic book artist and writer for a long time. So I did that on my own. Then I started writing stories and things like that. Um, and then eventually fast forward to college, I got into art and art school and I started studying um, computer art and graphics and animation. And I wanted to work in film. So um, at the end of when I graduated way back and I won't tell you when, so cause it'll show my age. <laughs> Um, but when I graduated, I, uh, I started a, an indie film production company. And so, uh, I was working on short films of my own. Uh, I'm, I'm in Cleveland, you know, Ohio. So whenever a film would come to the area, I'd work on those films and I did some special effects, uh, cause that was my background, um, you know, for people. And I worked on some commercials and, uh, like a lot of behind the scenes stuff, but then, you know, as, as awesome as that was, and as cool experience as that was, there was something still kind of like inside of me that wasn't being, um, I don't know, fulfilled or satisfied or whatever creatively. And so what, what I really was pulled towards was storytelling um, because in all my animation and film experiences and stuff, it really was at the core of it, the thing I was most excited and interested and passionate about was a story that was happening. And so myself and a couple of friends, um, we got together and we, uh, we wrote a uh, really an epic, huge um, tabletop fantasy role-playing game. We got like all these artists and all this art done and it was awesome. And it, it almost got done. It's kind of close. But anyways, we did that and I had a great time doing that. And after that, I, I did a lot of indie stuff on my own. I wrote a novel. I wrote a bunch of short stories. And eventually um, I got into designing like the tabletop games. And in my first game, like I had a, I had a lot of games going, side games, like a card game and an adventure tabletop game and stuff. But um, for a friend of mine for, I think it was for her birthday. I forgot. Um, I wanted to make a puzzle game that was really like, um, rich with story. So it was a very immersive game that would, you know, take, take the player into another world, so to speak, and give them an experience of, of, um, and, and I want to get to that in a second too, but like it would give them an, an experience. It wasn't just, um, opening up a book, 
or because because I love video games too, and I've worked for I, I did some freelance work for a video game company, and as awesome as that stuff is, and I love it. I still to this day I love video games. It's on a two dimensional glass screen, and movies two dimensional screen, and books as amazing as it is, and like the story um, opening up in my imagination, it's on a page, and so I really wanted to create something that was real world, like to bring those experiences of a movie or a game or whatever into the real world to give um, an experience. So anyway, so so I made um, a game, a puzzle kind of pirate treasure hunt game for her. And it was all done by hand and the map was done by hand. And eventually um, that became Legend of Game of Maps. That was kind of like the seed for it. And I, I wanted to try to bring that to a, a larger audience um, and see if it would work. And so I started making them by hand and selling them on Etsy. And over the years, it's kind of blossomed and more and more people have been interested. And then I made, it's a multiple part series. So I made part two and that's up on Etsy. Um, and uh, and part three is in the works. So it's like a, it's a arching storyline that goes throughout, um, not all of human history, but a lot of the important parts of human history throughout the, uh, you know, th- throughout the world and um, kind of follow, I don't want to get, you know, give away too many spoilers, but you, you follow a path of um, of treasures throughout history, through and and around the world, and you're kind of like trying to track it down. So that is the long answer to your short question. So it's very clear from this game that you you must have some passion about maps. Tell us about that passion and how that came about, and how you've infused that into the game. That's a really great question because I think um, I mean I can't speak for other people, but I would imagine any designer of a game, there's something about that game experience that they're designing that they're really passionate about. And for me, yeah, I've, I've been in love. I've just been like really admired um, the beautiful maps throughout history. And I think growing up as a kid in the eighties, there were some movies that really lit my imagination on fire and they had maps as a big part of it. Obviously Goonies was a big one. Uh, that map is just still is in my mind, just a beautiful, beautiful map uh, with so much mystery in it. And uh, just, yeah, it's awesome puzzles and stuff like that. And then there was a movie, I don't know if you guys have seen it called Time Bandits, um, where this this map that it's more of like an abstract map, but it's like on this really, it's a huge map. And it's this dark blue, thick canvasy kind of almost like thick paper. And uh, and it's like a, a map throughout time. It's like a time map, so to speak. And then um, and then like you know later on you have movies like Pirates of the Caribbean when their maps are just so rich and, and epic. And so you know you asked about like what I might be like interested in when it comes to that kind of stuff. And I think I don't know, you know ever since I, I was a kid, I've just been really drawn to them. And I think a large part of that is because it's like a, a map is like a window and it's a window into another world. Um, and, and even like Lord of the Rings, like that, any, any type of fantasy game or story or whatever that has a map, like for me, when I, when I look at that, it's almost as if I'm looking at the world from like a satellite point of view. And, um, and in that map, whether it's a beautiful color map or a really crude, you know, just line drawing, in that map, it holds pretty much like all the elements of the story from start to finish. Um, like if you take Lord of the Rings, for example, you, you know, you have um, the Shire and the Hobbits all the way to Mount Doom and Sauron and the destruction of the ring and everything. That's what, hopefully I didn't spoil that for anyone who hasn't read that story. But, <laughs> but so the entire story is contained in imagery. And, and there's just something really fascinating to me about that where you have, you have like, and, and even like throughout history. So you have this thing called a map and, it, uh, and it's a, a utilitarian thing. It's a tool that can be used to navigate the world, but yet it also throughout history, these maps capture a point in time of that, that captures the, the uh, technology of the time period and also the beliefs of the time period and the understanding of the world of the time period. So it captures so much of who the people were, what was important to them um, and uh, and their technologies and what they did to navigate and to stay safe and everything. So to me, a map is an entire story embedded into a single one page, oftentimes one page um, image that is just fascinating to me. And, and, and the last thing I'll say about it that um, I just think is so amazing about a map is that it is it's immersive in the sense that it's almost like an invitation where I enter into a world through this map, but yet the map, even if it looks simple, is so deep regarding like what can be explored and experienced through it. Um, so 
So it's just, I, I don't even want to call them layers. It's just like an entire world that I can get deeper and deeper into and explore that world through a single, you know, whatever small page document. So tell us why authenticity is so important to your process when creating your games. I think for me, it's about bringing a story, regardless of what the story is, whether it's fantasy, science fiction, historical fiction, whatever, um, and taking that story and bringing it as best I can into the real world to turn it into more of an immersive experience um, that people can enjoy. Um, and so, because it's in my imagination and like, how do I get it out um, you know, to people? And so it was really important for me to create it in the real world. And, you know, when you talk about things like a mass production kind of thing, where you have like maybe printers or manufacturers printing or cutting paper or whatever, like, yes, it, it would, it would probably play the same. It might even look really awesome. Um, but I love crafting it by hand because, well, first of all, I love to get my hands involved with creating something because I'm an artist and a craftsman. And, and I just love to have that like visceral um, feeling of the paper and then when a fire and dirt or wherever I'm using to like to age like the documents. So, so there's something about that. Whereas to get these games into the hands of a player, like I keep pushing that word experience. Cause that's what I really want to get across to the person. I want them to have an experience. And part of that is the gameplay for sure. Part of that's the story that they experience, but, but I want it to be stronger than that and to, to be lasting in their memory. So, so the smell is a big part of it because I burn the pages. So they smell burnt, you know, and they smell like old paper. Um, when I age them, and I have tutorials on my website for like people who want to do this at home. Um, you know, when I age them, I stain the paper uh, and I've experimented with all these different kinds of stains to find the right ones that look and feel right. Um, I use heat and oftentimes in drying the documents, makes them crinkly, uh, cracks the edges. Yeah, so so I just want the whole experience to feel real. And, and I guess what I'm trying to say to summarize all this is what happens, like what, ends up being in the player's hands i want to seem so realistic that it really like they can't tell the difference between that and some kind of antique artifact that their hand because because in my experience um there's something so different than you know reading a book or playing a video game or watching a movie with something old and then going to a museum and looking at this artifact in front of me that i can't touch but i can see dirt on it or i can see stains like a patina of like age on the copper or whatever that's like wow that someone used that and i can see where they used a lot of it because their fingerprints left whatever marks on it or something and there's just something to me so much more magical about a real document than a mass-produced one how do you think about puzzle creation masking when you're working with in what feels like a lot of your games, not a whole lot. It's a map, maybe a few documents, and yet you've been able to put this entire puzzling game in there. How do you do that? How do you go about thinking through that? To compare it to a book again, like when I write a story, it's words on a piece of paper and myself or someone else reads it and it creates this story, this environment in the imagination. I do that with part of my games. There is a text aspect to them, but I want the story to be told through experiences. So if there is um, if there is some kind of danger in the world, in the story, it's one thing to read it and that's awesome. And I want, and I want someone to like to read it, but I want them to experience it. And I think that is a much more entertaining way of experiencing a story. So I don't know if that answers your question. I, I think that text puzzles are awesome, but one of my, and, and, and maybe we'll get to, to talk about this a little later too. One of my favorite things about puzzles overall, any type of puzzle is this thing called steganography. And up to about a couple of years ago, I had no idea what it meant, but you have things like codes, right? And codes have been used throughout all of history since Roman times now to protect information. Um, so you have, so you have codes and code breaking, you have riddles throughout literature, you know, Greek riddles and things like that. There's this thing called steganography that I think it was Oh, I'm going to butcher this, so I apologize to any historians out there, but I think it was Sir Francis Drake, I want to say. And they came up with this thing called steganography, which is the idea of hiding a secret in plain sight. And that has like mesmerized me, that concept. And when I learned about it, and I learned about how whoever it was, Sir Francis Drake and people after him started doing that, like, this is incredible. You're able to, you're able to speak, to communicate with the person secretly in a way that people looking at the document will have no idea it's there. And that is just 
fascinates me. So, so to like to get back to your point, it's the idea of telling a story through experiences, creating riddles and puzzles into documents that um, you you have to you have to search for them. So it's not just you know a text based thing we have to solve. Well, while that is there, there's just something to me that's really important and entertaining about building the architecture of a puzzle and having the story be kind of one with it. If that makes sense, they kind of like you know just go back and forth in there, and they almost need each other. Honestly, they like they need each other to have the whole experience. So what's in the future for Legend of Game of Maps? Uh, you can tell us as much as you want or as little, um, but we are excited to see if there's more coming our way. So part one is kind of like an intro where the puzzles are challenging, but if, if someone's like a puzzle enthusiast, they probably won't have too much challenge with it. Uh, but, but for a beginner, it's a great entry to experience, you know, the, the puzzle, um, puzzle solving experience. And, and also especially be able to share it with, you know, with family or friends. I think that is a big part, a really big part of the experience of enjoying the game. Um, the second part is much more challenging. It's a much bigger it starts to branch. It starts breaking off into like two directions. And the third one is in the works. I'm starting to design the puzzle, design the maps. Um, it is more, it's more um, like the word I mentioned, steganography. It's more things in front of you that you cannot, and I, doubt, and I don't mean text when I say this, things in front of you that you cannot translate until you get a key later on or you break code later on to be able to give you the knowledge to go back and to start, you know, reevaluating what you've already seen that you didn't know, you know, were puzzles. So I'm working on the third one in, like I said, in the map for that, and it's starting to expand the story. And, and I don't want to, you know, ruin anything. So I'll keep it really general, but the first one um, takes place in one area of the world that I don't want to talk about because it's a part of the experience. The, the, uh, the second one starts branching off into, um, you know, different, more, maybe more common areas of, of history um, in the Mediterranean and the Caribbean. Um, and then the third one is branching off into other areas of history that I'm not going to tell you about. Um, because, because if you are solving part two, you'll get hints about what the next one is, about what part three is. So, so, um, so anyway, so, so that's part three. And so, you know, to be honest with you, this started as a single story and it blossomed into a much more varied experience. And so originally I had it as a seven part series. And then people were like, they asked me and then someone begged me, like, please don't do seven, like condense it, break it down into something more manageable. So I thought about it and I thought, okay, you know, I'll, I'll try that out because I'm not, I'm not, you know, being able to get these out every like six months or a year, even a year. Um, and, and and I think I would need to do that to have such a long a long series. So I've been starting to condense things, multiple games, kind of like how I can turn this part of the story into one. So I'm aiming for four parts. And the interesting thing is about this game is that each game is self-contained. So you can play part two if you wanted to, you know, without playing part one. It'll make more sense if you play them in order. But there's an overarching puzzle, which is like the foundation underneath all the games. And that's like the quote unquote main puzzle that a person is experiencing and hopefully solving. And to do that, you need all of the games, which hopefully will be four, all four games with their codes in them, with the fragments of puzzles and with the insights that you've gained along the way to be able to solve the overarching puzzle. The question we ask everybody, because we think it's important to show love to other creators out there is, what else are you playing? What else can be in this world, video games, whatever, but what else have you played, heard well about, and think our audience would enjoy? I've been talking a lot with Rita Orlov. Um, she makes uh, some really neat games. So I, so I think like, and while I haven't played any of her games, I'm kind of privy to some of like behind the scenes stuff. And uh, it's really some beautiful artwork, some really just clever design and stuff. So I think I would point people to that. I think she does really good work. Um, and there's these, uh, the Facebook as a puzzle people, I think the puzzle people group. And so that that's like um, a lot of fans of puzzle games. So I think there's a lot of information there as well where the, you know, a lot of the indie game designers kind of hang out in there and share experiences and some of their designs and people like have a lot of interaction. So I think that's another really great place to kind of interact and find uh, good games. And yeah. Um, so, so I think, you know, th that would be, regarding tabletop stuff. Um, but I think as of me for right now, like creatively, 
I usually play a lot of video games and read books and stuff. And that's honestly, that's kind of taking us backseat right now to like, okay, I'm really busy manufacturing stuff for Christmas and I can't stay up late playing fill in the blank because, you know, I, I have to like wake up early and spend time doing this manufacturing. So there is something really neat about indie tabletop games. And I've played a lot of, you know, mass market tabletop games, puzzle or just whatever, board card games, um, like friend Friday game nights or whatever. And, um, and they're great experiences. But when I see the craftsmanship, the love, you know, that a lot of indies put into their work, there's something, I don't know, there's something uh, like close to my heart about that. And it's, it's more of like a personal experience with the person who's creating it. So I can't speak highly enough about the, like the work that other, you know, indie creators are doing um, and the love and the, you know, quote unquote, like blood, sweat and tears that they're putting into it. So, so I want to like speak on that, but I also want to just, and I'm sure people listening to this are already puzzle or game fans. So I'm like speaking to the, or whatever, preaching to the choir here, but there's so many awesome entertainment avenues out there or ways to experience stories and things like that. Um, but there's something very uh, niche or particular about a tabletop game where you open it with your own hands and it gets you, I mean, you know, like I said, I love movies and video games, but it gets you away from digital screens. It maybe helps you bond and, you know, connect with family members or friends uh, and to solve something that you're all enjoying at the same time and bouncing ideas off each other, um, teamwork, you know, things of that nature. And I think it can build a lot of relationships and it, and it leaves you with something that you have in your hands that you can keep forever or share with another friend. So, the, when it comes to in-person, physical, like tangible game experiences that people buy or you know get in the mail from like an indie developer, um, there's some kind of magic there that I think is not completely lost, but more shallowly experienced with mass market games. And and I hope people you know continue to really seek out these indie developers who are doing really magical, mysterious, wonderful things, but sometimes it's in their basement and not a lot of people know about it. So sometimes they have to be hunted down, but I think, uh, you know, I think it is worth it when people find something that really, you know, touches them and gives them an experience of adventure. And that's really what, like what I want to get across to players of my games and want to give them an experience of, of adventure um, that they can share with other people and not only share the games with other people, but um, I really encourage people who play my games to do it with someone else, to solve it with a friend or family members. And um, it just makes the experience better. So at the end of the day, whether it's paper or digital or stories or whatever, um, for me, it's important that the experience is the most important part, the experience of someone gets of playing the game and solving the puzzles. Ron, we want to say thank you so much for coming on the show. We thoroughly enjoyed your game and we look forward to having you on in the future when part three comes out. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Well, if you're looking for more information about Legend Game of Maps, be sure to go to legendgameofmaps.com. But the primary selling point is on Etsy. So you can go to Etsy and just search Legend Game of Maps. Uh, currently Ron is gearing up for the Christmas season. So at the time that you all are listening to this, if you want to pick one up quickly, he's going to make and release a limited amount of these games for the pre Christmas season. Mm -hmm. Be sure to get yours quick. He is stocking up. They will go very quickly around the holiday season. Yep. So be sure to pick yours up. This is a game that you do not want to miss. Will be a great stocking stuffer oh yeah if i got this in my stocking i'd pee my pants like <laughs> <laughs> like what a awesome stocking stuffer yeah, it'd be cool zach how can uh, people help us on our journey across our map that's a great question uh you can help us many ways first i just want to say we've appreciated all the love and support we've gotten from everyone it's been an honor you know to see all the nice words that we get and the and also to see the critiques people give us that we can work on it's all been great um, but what you can do to help us is first you can go to the place where you listen to this podcast that's spotify itunes google stitcher wherever and uh, leave us a five-star review just tell us you guys have been enjoying the podcast leave us a review we'd very much appreciate it um, as well as you can go and like us on facebook at puzzling company or on instagram at puzzling company as well Absolutely. And we're super excited about what we have coming up in the future. Mm -hmm. We're going to be talking about that, especially in some of our late November, early December episodes. Big things coming from Puzzling Company in 2022. Well, that's going to wrap us up. Zach, where and or what 
are we headed to next week? Ooh, yeah. Next week's episode's interesting. We have kind of been left something, and we have to prove ourselves kind of our legacy. Our legacy, you say. Might this also be the title of the game? Yes, it is also the title of the game. That is correct. Yeah, we're, we're really excited. This next week, we're going to be talking about uh, legacy, and it is a really cool, what I would call a, almost two games in one. Yes. Um, that you get to crack open and find out the legacy is, I guess, the only way I can really talk about this. I don't yep. want to. I don't want to say too much. Yeah, correct. Well, that's going to wrap us up for Puzzling Company. This is Jared and Zach. See you guys. Thanks for listening. Find us on social media at Puzzling Company and online at puzzlingcompany.com. Check back weekly for new episodes. Until next time, keep puzzling. This has been Rogue Media Network Podcast.